What's good, everybody? Good to be with you back on the Monday Main Point, and it's good to be with you bringing this actually on a Monday, <laughs> Jeff. This is uh, this is nice to be doing this on a Monday again. For um, had a couple weeks there where school was just uh, an unnecessary, I guess, a necessary evil in my life. So I'm glad that that's done, and we can get back to you and uh, provide you this at the time it should be. So thank you for everybody's patience on that. Hope you're doing well today, and for all the mothers out there, I hope. Uh, yesterday was the best Mother's Day you've had. I'm really, uh, really excited. I got to go home and see my mom and get to spend some time with her and my fiance and uh, get to see all the mothers here at church. Um, you know, I said it in the baptismal waters yesterday. You know, for we have a lot of faithful moms and grandparents here, and especially from a kids pack, from a kids pastor perspective, man. They do a lot of good work here because if it weren't for them, I mean, <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. it would be a, uh, I'd have a lot of hard time trying to delegate stuff. So really, uh, really excited about that. I'm Blake Flincham. I'm the children's pastor here and the interim student pastor here. And I'm joined with my co-host, uh, doctor, not doctor. I'm so <laughs> the tired. Not doctor. <laughs> the honorary doctor, Jeff McCarthy here as the lead pastor here at Rose of Sharon Baptist. Uh, good to be with you. And uh, yesterday you brought a sermon from... First Thessalonians, one of my favorite books, by the way. First Thessalonians chapter two, verses seven through eight about a mother's example. And this was um you know, we getting to talk with you about it today, I was pretty interested in what um what all uh, what all you were saying in your sermon because I I really don't ever get to really listen to the sermons live because I'm doing children's church. So I'm usually teaching my own lessons. So it was good to be able to get to sit and talk with you a little bit about it because um, we got a we got a rich passage here today. So when um, when doing a Mother's Day passage, you know, I'm, I I would imagine that there's there's probably a struggle with how to approach Mother's Day with your sermons every year. You know, kind of like with Easter, Christmas, it's like. You've got the passages there, but like, how do you approach it? I'm sure it's probably the toughest part. So when you look, you know, when you're thinking about today, kind of give some insight for our listeners. How did you, how did you come to choose talking about like a mother's example and why, why this passage? Okay, well, normally on Mother's Day, of course, we have a day set aside to celebrate our moms. But as Christians, we come to to come to church to worship Jesus, and so. You always have to keep in the back of your mind on special occasions, whether it's Mother's Day or Fourth of July, whatever kind of uh, sermon it may be, to um, still present the gospel and still make it relevant to everybody there. So if you're just going to preach to mothers, then the tendency would be anybody that's not a mother, then they could just tune out and like, well, this is not uh, for me. Right, like for Grad Sunday coming up, you know, I'm yeah. going to obviously some application obviously will be to our graduates. Yeah. But I'm going to make it sure that you know it's real applicable for the whole church. Yeah, so, so, no, I so see whatever what applies at. to them should apply to us too. And so, so uh, since you are going to talk about mothers, then um, then you're like, okay, well, I've got to find a passage. I've got to find a topic. If there hadn't been something else, I've already been thinking about. So this year, I was thinking about, okay, I don't know what to preach on Mother's Day, but you know, we got, got that memory verse about. Um, that we're doing, and I preached the sermon on it at the very, very, very beginning about not being argumentative, uh, but to you know dealing with difficult people. Well, then um, this would be kind of the opposite. You're dealing with a mother, and um, so it was going to be more of a positive message about uh, about mom. So, so I just basically got the scriptures out, did my word search, found all those verses, and just started like 
screening down them from the Old Testament. And uh, then when I got to the New Testament, um, I ran across this passage, which I probably have read, you know, several times before. Yeah. Um, and it had meaning to me, but it didn't really stick out to me until I read it, thinking about, oh, I, I need to preach about mothers. And, I, and Paul, in this passage, describes his relationship, as well as Timothy and Silas, their relationship with the Thessalonian church, as being a mother that is breastfeeding or taking care of her children. And so I'm like, okay, well, that'd be interesting, because what Paul's doing there is he's using a mother's example as to how he is looking at how he's treated this this church and that maybe then we could apply it to us then not only talk about mothers and their example but then apply it to us uh, as christians because you got a man describing his relationship as a breastfeeding mother yeah which is like <laughs> which is pretty ironic because um you know, especially like when we look at Paul, we see he's, you know, one of the best missionaries, if not the best missionary that there ever was for the Christian church. And, you know, I would think, man, he really was like a spiritual father to a lot of these because um, in our circles we think of like, you know, he was a spiritual father to like Timothy, you know, Silas, some of the Luke who he sent out and was really able to do a lot of good ministry with, but never really honestly until yesterday and today did i really ever think of paul was like this spiritual mother <laughs> right right because because he, he's even admitted you know I, I led many of you to christ so i'm i'm like your spiritual father he uses like sports analogies yeah. and he uses soldier analogies yeah. and so now he's he's put himself into the say hey for this church that i birth then i want y'all to realize that that um uh, I have cherished you. I've given you the gospel, and I, I want to see you grow, just like a mother that's cherishing her children. And he uses the we because he was only there for a short time, but he left Timothy and Silas there, so that they all had a part in developing this church that was full of baby Christians, so that they could actually become mature in Christ. Well, kind of for the listeners, just to set up the context here, Paul's on his second missionary journey. And kind of describe for the listeners what happened to, um, how did God providentially work to allow Paul and these guys to birth this church? Well, on the second missionary journey, Paul was actually wanting to go to Asia. And that's where he was headed. But uh, the scriptures tell us that he says that the Holy Spirit prevented them. Mm. And um, and that night, um, he has a vision of a man from Macedonia and the man is saying, come help us, come help us. And so Paul then tells his companions, I believe God's leading us there. And so instead of going to Asia, they go to Europe. They go to Macedonia, which is yeah. modern day Greece and that area yeah. up around that, those. Um, uh, it would be kind of like, um, I, I don't know the correct word for it, but maybe like Asia Minor. It's, it's kind of like Eurasia. I think, uh, yeah. It's the beginning part of Europe. And so it's moving towards Europe, all right? So um, so Turkey, yeah. So Turkey, places like that would be where he's going. And then right across the Aegean Sea is Greece and Athens and Crete and all those other places that he went to. So anyway, so they get this vision. The first city they go to is Philippi. And, and even though he saw a vision of a man saying, come help us, he goes and finds these women by the river who were a Jewish synagogue 
And so it's a bunch of women then that he presents the gospel to, and they become believers. And uh, Lydia was a prominent uh, businesswoman, and so she set up her house to be the place where they could come and uh, Paul could teach and preach. And so while they're there teaching and preaching, um, they also um, convert a a girl that was following them around who was demon-possessed, that her, and she was a slave girl that her masters were using to, to be a fortune teller. And so once Paul then released the girl out of the, the demons and she became a Christian, well, she lost that ability to be a fortune teller. And so hit uh, her, um, her owners, the men that were using her, get upset and they, they call for the city and they start talking about these men or, or, or um, you know, they've, they've hurt their livelihood and they're teaching false teaching and preaching. And so they, they beat them and, and then Paul gets arrested and Silas and Timothy, they go to jail and at jail, they're praying and singing hymns, and this great earthquake earthquake comes. And so, um, and I'm, I know that I'm telling a lot of detail that I didn't. In the well, it's summer, good. But, no, it's but good. But anyway, context, so the, yeah. the earthquake comes. The Philippian jailer is getting ready to kill himself because you know back then, if it, if a prisoner escapes, it was the death penalty. Well, or yeah. you had to you had to live out that person's sentence. Then you would oh, be yeah. if they were sentenced to life, then you would be sentenced to life. So so yeah, so he's going to kill himself, and Paul says, "Don't. We're all here, including all the prisoners." And so the man says, "What must I do to be saved?" So then this Philippian jailer gets saved. Well. Uh, it's right after that, they're, they're wanting to kill Paul, and so they escape. They make their way out of the city after he gets released from the jail, and they come to Thessalonica. And at Thessalonica, the Bible tells us that he preaches there for three straight weeks into the synagogue, and the synagogue, uh, the ruler of the synagogue is Jason, and his house is right next to it, so he used his house as a kind of like a, a place where people could get, gather and talk. So even though he preached in the synagogue for three straight weeks, he was there, and Timothy and Silas were there every day, um, like on a mission trip, preaching and teaching the gospel to anybody that showed up. So um, so three groups of people became Christians, Jewish people, God-fearing Gentiles who were uh, um, converts to Judaism, and then prominent women who were Greek women uh, who, who uh, were coming to the synagogue because they wanted to worship the one true God and maybe they weren't married and things like that. And so, so these, these people come and that's the church that gives birth. And after three weeks, the group from Philippi shows up uh, and they're coming after them because they hear that's where they're at. And so they're, you know, they got this mob coming after them again. They beat Jason and um, so Silas and Timothy and Paul, uh, they're really after Paul. So they send Paul away. He leaves, goes across the Aegean Sea to Athens, and then Timothy and Silas stay there. And so probably through correspondence and all, Paul had been talking to them, and then he sends these, these two letters to the Thessalonians from what he's heard, uh, trying to encourage Timothy and Silas as they continue to help these people, but also to uh, help them grow in Christ. So, so through this birth in this church, then he comes up with this narrative or this um, metaphor um, that he's like a, a mother 
nursing a child. Yeah, and let's uh, let's go ahead and look at the. And I really appreciate you giving that deep context there because if we just read face value, um, I mean, it's sure it's beneficial, but it's even more beneficial to see the context and all those surrounding things because now you really see what Paul means when he says, "Hey, especially because he planted the church, he has that right and should." feel that, you know, that nurturing side of him because he's the one who planted it. So let's look in First uh, Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 78. He says, Although we could not have been a burden as Christ's apostles, instead we were gentle among you as a nurse. And I'm reading from the CSB, and I'll be honest, I'm not quite a fan of how they translate these verses. It says, As a nurse nurtures her, nurtures her own children. That can also say nursing mother which I believe is a much better translation. So as a nursing mother nurtures her own children, we cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. You know, one one thing, kind of one theme that I see in First Thessalonians is he just has such a desire and this love for a church, which really causes him to, like you say in your first point here, a mother cares for her children innately the way that paul cared for this church is a reminder with the metaphor that a mother cares for her children innately it's you know by instinct or by nature women are more nurturing usually than what guys are Mm -hmm. but when we're talking in a spiritual sense i don't think it's a bad thing to say that you know as a pastor like especially if you take us for example like a lot of new kids in our kids ministry have just recently gotten saved. So I do want to help nurture them in the gospel because, you know, they're babies, you know, literally <laughs> and spiritually. And right. So want to be able to kind of take that role in nurturing them to get them to a point they are ready for, like, youth ministry, and they can grow a little bit deeper. They can talk some more about that deeper stuff. And then when they're in college, they can, you know, share the gospel in, you know, some hard environments and then raise families. But you got to do that in a way. You got to nurture them while they're young and even when they're spiritually young so that they can do that. So Paul has this instinct in this nature here. And we don't really just find this here. You also cross reference some few other verses about how. You know, if we're on this topic of a man being like nurturing, talk about some of the cross references you use, like with Solomon here and, and all. Yeah, and so all that. so when you look at those words, nursing, of course, it means to um, be a nourisher or a caregiver, as um, someone that that offers food and tender care. So, like, so a baby then is dependent on someone to feed and care for them. So, if you think about a church that are baby Christians that don't don't, don't know anything about Jesus. And now they've found out about Jesus, and now they're brand new. So somebody has to continue to teach them, to continue to nurture them, to continue to feed them, which, of course, that's what we call, um, and we'll look at that in the second part, but uh, the, the Word of God is, is described as milk for um, spiritual babies, but also meat for people that are able to have it. So anyway, so uh, and then the other word, cherishing, is basically a picture of a hen who's bringing her her chicks under her wings to protect them, yeah. to warm them, to comfort them, and to um, you know just have them to brood over them. So um, so Paul uses this this picture then. So uh, by looking at that, then 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 the scripture is clearly showing even through the animal kingdom 
um, how a mother hen uh, is going to protect her young, going to protect the children. So the same thing Paul's looking at, that's what we wanted to do. We wanted to protect you guys. We wanted you to grow. We wanted to feed you. Um, because, you know, Paul and them escaped persecution and jail and beatings. Now they're there teaching, and now it's come again. And so so their instinct then is to protect the Thessalonian church. That's why he left, but left Timothy and Silas there. So anyway, so, um, so I believe that this instinct then, uh, he's, the Holy Spirit um, gets Paul, inspires him when he writes this letter to use this imagery and this analogy. So the Holy Spirit is saying that uh, what he's saying here is true. So if it's true, then that means that women have this uh, uh, in, innate instinct, this maternal instinct to care for children, uh, especially mothers, but also any mother or any woman, because we have a lot of women in our church that aren't natural mothers, right? but they have that same nurturing, that same care, that same desire to help kids. So, yeah. so that's, that's part of their in, instinct. And so there's a scripture um, that points to this, and it comes from Solomon in his reign. And Solomon asked for one thing. He asked for wisdom. And, and God said, okay, I'm going to grant you wisdom because that's what you asked for. Um, and so, uh, so right after that, uh, Solomon is put to the test. There's two women in chapter 3 of uh, 1 Kings, chapter two, uh, 3. These two women come to him. And... Uh, I was I, I told everybody I said you know I was I've always wanted to preach this passage on a mother's man, day. Man, this is a scandalous <clears throat> mess. What's yeah. going on? So, <laughs> I mean, this is ridiculous. But, you know, it'd be kind of hard to to really do. But I got a chance to do it anyway to prove this point about yeah. the innate uh, qualities of mother. Right. So anyway, so um, so these two ladies, they're called harlots. In other words, they're unmarried. Um, maybe they were prostitutes. Maybe they were concubines. Whatever. They both got pregnant, uh, and they were pregnant three days apart. It says they lived in the same place, so it could have been they were part of a harem of one man uh, that, that was taking care of these women. We just don't know. All we know is the two women are pregnant. They live in the same house. And they get a fighting. <laughs> and uh, and the babies are three days apart, and they're boys. And so uh, somehow or another, one night, uh, while they were still nur- they were, the babies were still infants, um, the mother that's coming before Solomon with the case, the accuser in this case, is saying that this lady uh, slept on her child and the child died. So whether the lady, uh, so according to the Bible, she she rolled over on him and he he was suffocated. And what she did in the middle of the night then was took her dead baby and switched the dead baby with the live baby and brought the live baby into her bed and left the dead baby with the woman that's standing before Solomon. And she's saying, so so um, um, the, this baby that she has now is not her baby. That's my baby. And then the other one was like, no, the dead baby's yours. This is my baby. And so here's Solomon now. He's got to make a decision. And uh, so he, he calls for a sword, and he tells the guy that brings the sword in, cut the baby in half. So in other words, if he's going to cut the baby in half, he said, give one 
to part to the one late woman and the other part to the I guess desperate times call for desperate measures. So then that means that the baby's going to die. <laughs> right. right? And so, yeah. then I was, so I picked up, and these are the scriptures I shared. I said, so the woman whose son was alive was deeply moved out of love for her son. So this was something inside her. She was deeply moved. And um, her son, this is the one that's the son's alive. And she said to the king, Please, my lord, give her the living baby. Don't kill him. But the other said, Neither I nor you shall have him. Cut him in two. The king gave his ruling. Give the living baby to the first woman. Do not kill him. She is his mother. Now, how did you know that? Verse 28. And when all Israel heard the verdict the king had given, they held that the king in all because they they saw that he had, had wisdom from God to minister justice. So, so God put it in Solomon's heart and mind to understand and know that this woman that expressed this deep love and concern for her child that was willing to give her child up to another person in order for that child to live was the real mother. So she was willing to sacrifice herself to say, hey, I'm willing to give him away if he's going to live. And the other lady, of course, her heart was hard. He's like, no, just go ahead and kill him. So he knew then... Because of because God gave him that wisdom, that this this proved the point of this innate a desire for a woman to take care of her children, just like that instinct, that maternal instinct. Um, yeah, and even in um, I mean, even you see it there, and you even see it like when um, like when Jesus is talking about like. I, is it the destruction of Jerusalem that's coming, or how no, he's no, kind no, of no. lamenting over Jerusalem? Or in well, uh, so that, so the point I was trying to make then was, yeah. since God then uh, gave Solomon that wisdom, so then God is showing us that not only do are women, it's part of their nature to love unconditionally and sacrificially. It's His nature too. Yeah. In Isaiah, there's a passage that says, "As a mother, mother comforts her child." I will comfort you, and you will be comforted over Jerusalem. So he's talking about the Messiah. So we know Jesus is the Messiah. So when Jesus comes on the scene, near the end of his life, he's headed to Jerusalem, and as he's approaching the city, he's getting ready to go, and everything's going to happen to him. He's going to be betrayed, arrested, tried, and crucified. Okay? He knows this. So he's coming, and he sees all these people, all these pilgrims, all clamoring, and his heart's kind of broken. And he goes, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath their wings, but you wouldn't let me. So he was in the same way that Paul says, I was a mother. Uh, Jesus is like, I wanted to be like a mother hen. I wanted to gather you under my wings. So these people could have accepted him as the Messiah and he would have protected them, and the kingdom would have been set up at that time. But they didn't do it. They rejected him. And so, um, so again, so, so because God's nature is to do that, Jesus' nature is to do that, and if God has put that in a woman's heart and her nature, then we see then that, that, that God then can help us when we become a believer because now we're we're trying to serve him and live like him, that we can be a mother too. We can be like a mother. We can protect and nourish and do all those things as well when the whole purpose is you know to go out and like create disciples and to i mean basically the essence of the great commission is to go nurture disciples make disciples nurture them and because like especially in church culture man we've got 
a lot of us almost function like salvation was just a one-time thing, you know, mm-hmm. and we just just kind of go through the motions after that. Like, yeah, that was a big moment. I walked the aisle or I did this or that. Um, but that, you know, every day, you know, is a day we should work out our salvation and to go nurture disciples, to go pour into others, to go check in on people, you know. And it hadn't, it doesn't have to be like a uh, sophisticated system for us to do it. You know, it just should be like naturally, like taking care of somebody. Like uh, somebody just came by the church today and was telling me about a struggle. And my first reaction is like, I'm so sorry, what can I do, you know, to help kind of nurture this love of Christ for this person? Because I'm this person's pastor, but not just because I'm the pastor, because I'm a Christian and I want to help take care of, you know, the disciples, the church. Right. And and so, like, even like us, you know, I don't have any children. You don't have any children. Mm-mm. We have a lot of people in our church that don't have children. So, and Paul didn't have any children that we know of. And probably Timothy and Silas probably weren't married and didn't have kids either. So uh, so these people were their children. And so when, when we look at the church, I always had a kind of a philosophy. Um, when I dealt with somebody, I was like, well, what would I want my, uh, if this was my uh, child, how would I want them to be treated? Or if this was my uh, grandson or granddaughter, how would I want them to be treated? Or if this was my grandmother, how would I want somebody to treat her? Or if this was my mom or my brother or my sister, how would I want the pastor to treat them? So yeah. it kind of gives you an idea of saying, um, even though I don't have kids, I want to pour my life into kids because I, you know, I want to pour my life into children because I want them to hear the gospel. Uh, and I, but I also want to, I want older people that are babes in Christ to grow spiritually as well. So uh, it just helps us have a mindset of knowing that. Um, we can we can do the same thing. Our job is we want to be a birthing place. We want to be a birthing place for new Christians. Yes, absolutely. And so so often the church loses that um, that uh, vision, and they think the church is something else. But it's really a birthing place. And then not only a birthing place, then it's a nursing place where okay, now we got these brand new Christians. We need to nurture them and take care of them. Well, and especially when, um, when especially when somebody is new to the faith, they're on fire. I think it's really important whenever, like, they're on fire, is to like, hey, give them a purpose in the church, like, right away. That way, they can uh, start to use their gifts, and that way, um, they can continue to stoke that flame a little bit that they have. And because the momentum that you can have when you're on fire for the Lord and they're serving, that's going to be contagious. Um, and a lot of times, a lot of good kingdom work can be done through newer believers than older believers sometimes. And that's a... Well, because most times, we talked about this a little bit today too, yeah. over lunch, when you're a Christian, your whole life is tied up, especially if you're involved in a church or a pastor of a church or on staff, then pretty much your whole life is... The time that you have to give is all tied up in church work it and is. church people, and you rarely ever get a chance to be with anybody that's a non-believer. Right. But, but whereas brand new Christians, where everybody they know are are people that aren't Christians yet. Yeah. So so that there's an opportunity there for them to if they're being nurtured and all, then they're going to say, "Hey, come to my church and all." You know, I'm I'm growing, I'm learning, and all this stuff. So, and that's, that's one reason too that you know that's one reason too. You know, with me like 
being part-time here and part-time at the garden center, you know, I, I mean, could I go get a job at school? Sure. But I'm just around Christians at school. I'm around Christians here. Now, one thing I love about kids ministry is a lot of them sometimes aren't saved yet. So yeah, technically you're around unbelievers. But when you're in a public marketplace like the garden center that I work at, man, I get to have a good amount of gospel conversations, you know, and Sometimes I get to talk with believers and encourage them, but if coworkers come in and they're unchurched or um, maybe they made a profession a long time ago, but they've been kind of you know wayward with it, you know I can encourage them. And uh, seeing your workplace as like a mission field as a ministry mm-hmm. can really help. You know, you can go do that great commission. You can go nurture. So like that's one reason I choose to go out and do that is because I. I like being around lost people, right. and we should love being around lost people. Now, not for the bad, not for the wrong reasons, <laughs> you know, but you know, not to go be like them, but to be with them and to serve them by giving them Christ. But you know, if if we're never around lost people, then we can't nurture lost people and create that create those avenues for it to be a birthing place and to go have spiritual children like you talk about here in your second point about how a mother cares for her children spiritually um with uh i mean with this paul is writing this letter to them so we see that with with just the letter in of itself it's an act of love that he's wanting to check in on them you know encourage them and a lot of times i think with the exception of the letter to galatians he usually starts out by thanking them for just who they are, you know, thanking them that they're saved. Now, in Galatians, he's mad at them because they've really started to screw up with some theology and the way they're living. But in Thessalonica, they were, you know, they were young. Paul had, you know, just, you know, birthed the church. And he's showing them that he's thankful and wants them to know about, you know, just his absolute love for them. And, there's, and he's talking to his spiritual children here. And... You know, you yesterday you cross-referenced some some verses like from Second Timothy one, like from Second Timothy one five. When you look at Timothy's life, I don't. I forgive me if I'm wrong, but I don't think Scripture mentions much about Timothy's father. I think he was a Jew or a Greek. And his mom was a well, Greek. He's a, or a, he's a Gentile. That's right. So and it, his mother's a Jew. So was it possible? His his, Jew. So it's possible Timothy's dad wasn't a believer. Maybe. Probably. Yeah. You know, there's all. Yeah. You know, I mean, we don't know right. what he did, but there's all kind of speculation. But we just, all we know is he was a Gentile, but he's never really mentioned in his life anymore. And so, but his grandmother and mother are. And then he Paul's able to lead him to the Lord, and then he goes with Paul. His mama lets him go with Paul. So uh, his father could be dead now. Who knows? But he wasn't. He wasn't a believer in Christ, and he wasn't a. a um, he wasn't. He was a Gentile. Um, and so, so the second point he talked about. Uh, he did this to impart the gospel. They came to impart the gospel, to share the gospel. And that was the main point why they came. And, um, and and they loved them so much they were willing to do that. And so the way the way that children grew spiritually then is really the same way they should grow now. Um, back in those days, um, the faith tradition of the, the child was passed down from the mother. So whether they were Greek, 
Roman or Jew, then if the mother was a believer in a religion, then that was the religion that the kid took. All right. So even though Timothy's father was a Gentile, he was raised to believe in God, in Yahweh. And because the first teachers um, were the mothers and the grandmothers who had the children when they were young. And of course, they would teach them the Bible verses. They would tell Bible stories. They would sing hymns. They would pray. Uh, they would probably tell them, you know, what the symbols all represent and things like that when they were getting ready for Passover, all these things. So it was all part of re retelling the story so that they had a foundation. And so, so Timothy then, because he had a Greek father and a Gentile mother, then he was an example. So it was a good team member for Paul to have on his team in this missionary journey because they're going to the Gentile territory where they can see somebody that looks like them and can speak their language that's a believer now. So, um, and somebody that, you know, uh, uh, had, had become a Christian. And so uh, Paul talks about Timothy. He says, you know, remember your faith, which was first in your grandmother, Lois, and then in your mother, Eunice, and now that same faith is in you. So, so there Paul is showing that, that, that importance of a mother and a grandmother being a spiritual leader in their family and teaching these kids. And then later on in 2 Timothy, uh, because they taught him the scripture, Paul was telling them, you know, to be, remain faithful to things that he'd been taught because he knows they're true, because he can trust those it taught you. And who taught him? His grandmother, his mother, and now Paul. So he, he's, he's trusting them. Then he goes, but you've been taught, you've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood. And then that has given you the wisdom to receive salvation that comes by trusting Jesus. So everything they taught them from Abraham sacrificing his son, for any time the uh, scriptures, you know, were pointing to the Messiah that was pointing to Jesus. So that was stuff that was in his uh, growth spiritually as a kid so that when he was ready, he was able to receive Christ. And then pa Peter talks about that, about how uh, when you're a a brand new Christian, then you're you're basically uh, you can't eat strong meat. So they call it spiritual milk, like newborn babies. You must crave spiritual milk so that you grow into full experience of salvation and cry out for this mirth, uh nourishment. So so again, he uses that thing of a, a newborn baby Christian has to have milk. Later on, Paul in First Corinthians, same thing. He talks about um, he wanted to talk to them spiritually, but they were just like infants. He had to feed them milk, not solid food, because they weren't ready, and they still weren't ready. So they were a bunch of immature Christians. And um, But then uh, the writer of Hebrews, which I personally believe it's Paul, talked about how um, in the church there were a lot of people, they were still living off milk. And he said, it's time for you to be teachers, but, but instead of teaching, you have to have uh, the the basic things of Christianity again. Yeah, it's just like, like babies that need milk. Basics, and, yeah. yeah, you can't have solid food. and uh, You're just like an infant. And, and solid food is for those who are mature. So you can like know the difference between right and wrong. So he's trying to encourage them. Like, look, just like your mothers raised you and gave you the word and they grew, you need to grow. And, and if you're just sitting here and all you're doing is taking in and taking in, taking in, then you're just basically an immature baby that's fat on a bunch of milk. Well, you know, something that's ironic about Hebrew, the book of Hebrews is 
those, you know, it's literally in the title, the Hebrews. Mm-hmm. They should really know the Old Testament because the Old Testament is the Hebrew Old Testament. Well, there's a lot of Old Testament references in, uh, you know, he's having to quote the Old Testament so much to people who should know the Old Testament mm-hmm. in Hebrews, whoever the author was, you right. know. And it's like you can already see there in Hebrews that he's talking to people who are immature in the faith. And I... And I'm convinced that a lot of churches in America today are full of people who are immature believers. I was listening to a podcast actually from um, the one Southeastern does. Their um, their uh, pastor center does a podcast called Pastor Matters, and mm-hmm. um, it was actually um, the guy who hosts it was talking to the church revitalization professor that I had, and um, he was talking. Um, he was kind of going through some sermons about when they first got to a church. And this guy who hosted the podcast just said he was kind of, I guess, kind of going through the Baptist faith and message a little bit, just Mm -hmm. talking on the basic doctrines, which should be milk. And he was talking about God. So he talks about God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. So basically the Trinity, the person of God. And a lady walks up to him and he's like, I've never heard any of this before. And it's like, what? And I mean, she had been a member for 60 years probably and never heard a sermon on the person of God, the triune God. Now, I'm not saying he went in all philosophical how the Trinity works by any means. I don't think he went that route. But he was just preaching on God, his Father, God, his Son, God, his Spirit. And they were like amazed by it. They're like, we've never heard anything like this before. And it's like, what? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, well, and, and what happens is so. For example, uh, so Paul's pre- he preached there three weeks. He had to leave, but he left Timothy and Silas behind. And so, um, so the goal then is, I don't want people just to come hear me preach, and that's all they do. I want them to get into the Word themselves. But if they're a baby Christian, they don't know how to study their Bible. They all this stuff is new. They don't really know a lot of doctrines. Then it takes people to be spiritual mothers and fathers to them. Uh, like, for example, Eileen was led to the Lord by her mom. And, you know, she taught her songs from the Bible and things like that. Well, I think my first Sunday school teacher was my mom and dad, so my yeah. parents. And so for me, though, my mom had become a Christian when I was five, so it was a lady in the church that kind of put it in my heart about, you know, preaching to us every week, like, if you want to be saved, say this prayer, which then later on in life when I was— 29 years old, it came back to me. And so I prayed that prayer to receive Christ. But all those people were important. And and so what happens to Christians then, if they become a Christian, but but all they do is come and hear sermons or hear Sunday school lessons, but they never on their own begin to read the scriptures, begin to pray, begin to witness to people and testify to people and things like that. That's how you grow. And so if all you do is come every week to hear a sermon, but you go home and you don't ever try to crack a, the Bible open and or ever try to grow, all week. Then, then basically you're coming to church every week to get you a big old bottle full of milk to fill up your belly so that you can go home and feel good for another week. Well, if we, I mean, and so you're just a bunch of malnourished people that have been Christians for 20, 30, 40 years. Because it's the people, it's the older people that's like, well, I wasn't, like the people like, why did you leave your church? I wasn't getting fed. 
Well, how long you been a Christian? Thirty years. Well, well, you, you shouldn't. You shouldn't be going to get fed. You should be feeding yourself. Yeah, that's you know? what he's saying there in Hebrews. So, yeah. so yeah, if I get something out of a sermon, great. If I don't, then I need to be praying. Like maybe the sermon's not for me, but that person over there I know is a brand new believer, a brand new Christian, or lost. I can pray for them during the sermon. Like Lord, just use this message to reach them. Well, because and- if I'm mature enough, I'm going to go home, and I can look at the sermon notes. And I can read these things on my own and verify, yeah. you know, to test and everything, to, to learn how to grow spiritually. And if all the effort that you're putting in is on a Sunday morning and maybe sending your kid on a Sunday night, then you're eating spiritual food. Yeah, you're still on a meal. One day a week. Think, I mean, about- think about it. If we all we did, Jeff, was go out to eat for lunch one day as a staff, one day a week, well, like, I would be so fat, <laughs> well, but I would be malnourished. But, I mean, I, we'd be malnourished. if The only food we ate was when we go to the Pizza Inn on Monday afternoons. But, see, but according and, to Paul, you're not able to eat meat. Yeah. So all you're getting is a bottle. Yeah, and it's like, you know. So we, you're just basically drinking milk. And that's a good reminder for us as believers. It's not the church's job to feed you primarily. It's not even primarily the pastor's job to feed you. It's your primarily role yeah, once to you feed get yourself. Once you get discipled, and one of the best things to, to, to learn how to be discipled is to start discipling. So if you start volunteering to work in for children's ministry or youth ministry, uh, helping out with Sunday school, Helping to teach VBS, those little things help you. Like, okay, I can read the Bible and I can learn, and now I'm growing on my own. And then, if you're teaching your children, if you're doing devotions with them and all, that's going to help you too. Because when so you then teach, you're you growing do. And, and and you're growing in your faith, and so that's the whole point. And when you serve, you serve yourself. When you teach, you teach yourself. Because, like, I'll be honest, there's a lot of times when I'm doing sermon prep and whatnot. I find a plethora of information and transformational information that I would not have found if I'm not preaching it. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and it's like, wow. Like a lot of sermons, I'm preaching to myself, you know. Or if I see something I haven't never preached on uh, or a topic, I'm like, it's going to challenge me to go, okay, what does this really mean? Yeah. So you have to dig into it. But that's the only way you're going to grow spiritually. And, you know, it's like, you know, if you go to the, if you go to the gym, and all you do is five-pound weights on the side for 45, 50 years, you're never going to be able to bench press 100, 200, 300 pounds. You're only going to be doing that because that's all you're used to. Right. Now, can somebody who whose maximum weight they can bench press is 100, can you just give them 300 pounds of weight and expect them to do it? Well, no, it's a gradual process. Right. You know, it, the muscles build over time. But the only way to build your muscles is by doing a regular routine. Well, to build your spiritual muscles, if you will, you have to do it daily. And um, and if not daily, you know, try to start um, try to start cultivating at least three to four times a week. You know, make yourself some small goals. That way, you can start to feed yourself. You know, and like for me, you know, I I try to do it daily. Am I always perfect at it? Well, no. But usually, for the most part, I'm cultivating a daily thing where I'm in the scripture because I know if I don't feed myself those kids on Sunday morning ain't going to be fed right those youth on Sunday night and kids on Sunday night aren't going to be fed my leaders are not going to be able to uh, 
you know, they're not, I'm not going to be able to pour into them and, you know, talk with them about deeper issues the way that I need to and be there for them because I haven't taken care of myself. Right. So it's important to, I guess, get back to kind of get back to the uh, outline a little bit when you're taking care of your spiritual children, you just got to take care of you spiritually too. And a part of uh, caring for when a mother cares for her children, it, I mean, it's going to be sacrificial. You know, I know right. a lot of moms are sacrificial in their love. And with, with spiritual children, we need to do the same thing. Right, and that's what Paul yeah. was saying. You know, they, they not only did he impart the gospel, but they they gave their own lives also. Why? Because they were dear to us. And so that word dear to us uh, is agape petos, which is agape it means you. We loved you unconditionally. We loved you sacrificially. So, so Peter, so Peter, Paul, <laughs> Timothy, and Silas, yeah, had already been put in jail and beaten, and escaped that. Now they're in this new city, and people are coming after them again. Paul has to escape in order to save his life, but but Silas and Timothy stay there, and the people beat Jason because he let them use his house. Right. So they were, they were under threat of being, you know, they could have been killed yeah. any moment. But they were willing to risk their life and sacrifice their life for these spiritual children, for this church. I mean, it's like missionaries today. Um, if, someone's, if someone is called and they go to a, a nation that is um, opposed to the gospel and it's even against the law and their constitution— to convert someone to another religion or to uh, even proselytize or preach, uh, then they're putting their life on the line. You know, a lot of the early missionaries, you know, many of them went to the jungles for the first time at all. Many of them lost their lives. They did. Um, you know, and these were people that were like, um, were, were, were called by God to, to go to the places that, they didn't even know the language yet. They had to learn the language. So, so Paul is uh, telling them that that we not only give you this food and everything, we give you the gospel, but, we're, but we gave our lives also. And I think and so. Paul did that for them and for the Galatians and for the for the Corinthians. Um, and so that's what a mother does. A mother sacrifices for her children. Well, when you look at the <clears throat> when you look at you know if you kind of combine all these three points together. You know, when you're caring for people innately, spiritually, and sacrificially, it's really what we're saying here is it should really be a lifelong devotion to make spiritual disciples, to care. You know, as it's a lifelong thing to care for your kids as long as you can. And I know as, you know, people get older, the roles kind of get reversed. The children can start caring for the parents. Right. But for as long as you can, caring for your kids it is a lifelong commitment, and that's what it's like following Jesus because at the, at the end of the day, it's worth it. Is it always easy? Heck no. <laughs> you know, it's not always easy. You know, does the are you always going to feel, you know, feel great about it? Are you always going to be the most financially prosperous, this, that? No, but it is absolutely worth it. Um, and, like, I know, like, for me personally, man, there's – I couldn't imagine doing anything else and being fully content. I mean, I mean, I could probably go work for a race team and be happy, but I don't think I'd be content. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think I'd be content because 
I know I wouldn't be doing the maximum I can for the gospel. And what that's kind of like what we're with uh, this sermon. That's what we're calling you to do is to give your life, you know, sacrifice what you have in a way for the gospel to reach people with the gospel. It's a sacrificial lifestyle, but that reflects the sacrifice Jesus did for us on the cross. Because yeah, so I like that when he said, I, I want to be like a hen gathering you under my wings, but you wouldn't come. When he stretched out his arms on the cross, yeah. he's still gathering people yeah. under his wings. And so um, sometimes a sacrificial thing may be that you, um, you, know, you give up your Sunday morning and go to your Sunday school class because you want to go teach children or you want to go work in the nursery um, or you, you know, maybe you give some money so a child can go to camp or you, you start praying for, uh, you adopt a kid to pray for and you start praying for them and you start seeing God work in their heart and their life. So there's all kinds of ways that you can spend your life, but are you spending your life, especially for your own children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, but also the the children of the church. And I think, too, and it's important to teach them, you know, what are you going to sacrifice for Jesus? You know, are you okay sacrificing weekend of, you know, ball trips on a weekend to make sure that you're at church learning about Jesus, to be, to cultivate that relationship with Jesus? Are you willing to give that up to follow Jesus? And I'm not saying don't do it, but don't let that take the place of Jesus. You know, and I think, I think, but even like, like if you were doing, if your kid does have like a season of travel ball, whatever, you as a parent, are you making sure that you're doing some kind of devotion with that child? Are using that Maybe as a, using that as a team? So hey, you know, since we're going to be playing Sunday, we're going to go eat breakfast and all. Let's just spend a few time a moment. You know, um, you know, let's pray for the team. You know, do a little devotional talk. No, that's, you know, that's what you're talking about here. That would be spending your life. That would be a sacrifice. Yeah. Would you be willing to say, hey, coach, can I have like a little brief devotion with the boys or the girls before they go play soccer? Or in using that you know, as... So, so, so we as Christians, we're still on a mission field. We, we think that we got America is this Christian nation and it's no longer a mission field. It's the mission field now. It is by and, far and the Christians, mission field have got to get out of their comfort zone and stop letting the world tell us we can't do something, but do it in a positive way. Don't force it, you know, but like that would be a great thing. Say, hey, when we gather for breakfast, because they all meet in motels, holiday inns, everything. They're all down there eating their breakfast and everything well, and, before they load up the cars and go play their ball games. Well, and especially if it's a more of a slower-paced game, like baseball or softball or something, you know. Well, this is before they even get the field. Yeah. Like they're the, up that morning anyway. Yeah. But if you make the offer, and if it's just you and two other people, or if it's just you and your kid, just say, hey, we're going to do this. You never know who you might start reaching. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe even during the game, you know, ask people how you can pray for them. Just be with them. Let them see your Christian lifestyle. Now, what that involves is you live in a Christian lifestyle, you know, maybe being different. If everybody's yelling at the umpire or something, maybe you kind of retract from that a little bit and know that very likely that that ain't going to be the outcome of the game. That ain't going to cause the outcome of the game, you know. And um, just Christian character witness can be very important, but – um, I think I think that's a good way to kind of close out here is, you know, whatever you're doing, are you living sacrificially for Jesus? 
are you pointing people to Christ and what you're doing? Are you using the areas that God has given you as a platform to make the gospel known? Do the people around you even know that you're a Christian? You know, does and that's something that I try to tell the kids, like, hey, on your ball team, you know, you know, do they do they go to church? Do you even know? And that's something I ask, and if they're like, yes, no. If they say yes, they know whether they do or not. I'm like, okay, good job. I appreciate it. If you don't, I say, hey, well, the Lord's, I think the Lord clearly wants you to invite them to church or you go share the gospel with them if you're saved. I'm like, you got everything you need to. Right. <laughs> you know, so there's um, there's just so many ways that we can be on be on mission and sacrifice um, our lives, or live a sacrificial life for Christ. So that's a that's a good reminder for us. And next week on the twenty first, what's uh, what's in store for us, Jeff? Well, I've been thinking about a passage that came to mind um, because we we're talking we were talking about difficult people and all. But uh, there was a passage. Have you ever wanted to like zap somebody? Like if I was God, I would zap them. Yes. <laughs> well, there was a passage uh, where James and John wanted to do that. He, they wanted to bring fire down from heaven and. Jesus told him, hey, you don't know what you're asking. <laughs> so I'm thinking about preaching on that passage from uh, Luke chapter number 9, verse 51 through 56. Yeah. Uh, because so often in our culture today, when we see things that happen, whether it's somebody that shoots up a school, and if they were still alive. Uh, or there's know, an agenda that's very yeah, anti-scripture. Yeah, so you're just like, boy, if I was God, I would just like, I would just zap these just people. Zap them, strike you know, them like, dead. Yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> if it's some uh, adversary that's anti Christian and they're all gathering around their false temple and, like, man, I would just, why don't we just, like, just take care of them right now? So we're not God. And so, what, <laughs> what would be God's response to that? Uh, so that's kind of I that's, don't know what the title is going to be or how we're going to do it. Right. Yet, but. No, that'll be that'll be interesting because if we're all honest with ourselves, we felt that way because people get on our nerves sometimes. And I'm not saying just us as pastors. I'm talking about people in general are just going to get on people's nerves because we're all sinful humans. We're all broken. We're all messed up. So I. I'm really looking forward to that. That's the that's the route you go. So, uh, if you want to know the sermon title, uh, let the suspense just really eat at you this week. Mm-hmm. So you come to church on Sunday. So that'll be good. That'll be good. Well, it's been a privilege to be able to bring this podcast to you, listeners. Uh, make sure if you have any questions, feel free to reach out. Uh, any recommendations, any topics you might would like for us to talk about, we're open to that too. And we just uh, we just want to be here to serve you. That's the reason we do what we do here. And we love you. And we'll go ahead and close this out. We'll see you on the next one. So long, everybody.